Lord, we thank you so much for your amazing grace and mercy, and we pray that we'll be reminded of what you have done, that we might also live a life of grace, mercy, and love and justice here on earth. And we pray that the truth of your word will move us and shape us, um, shape our lives into lives that bear much fruit for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Throughout my ministry, I have often heard people say things like um, uh, affirming sort of the importance of my work over their work. and I think the idea is that the, 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 sort of the spiritual takes precedence over the secular. Um, works of the church contributes to the kingdom of God, whereas uh, they say they often say their work they do it because they need to make a living. I want to I want to convince you today uh, that biblically speaking, that your work, what you do in life, and how you do it, um, what you're doing. Um, and how you are in the world, in some ways, actually, is much more important than, uh, in many respects, what I'm doing and how I'm doing it here. Partly, I think people have separated the secular from the sacred because, uh, for, for them, the Bible, for all intents and purposes, starts with Genesis chapter 3. It starts almost with the fall, with sin. And, and, and people think that because sin is the biggest problem in this world. And that's true. Because out of sin and out of the fall, out of the fallenness of the world, comes all these evil things. And ev- uh, 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 the world has fallen. And people need forgiveness. Especially um, since God's wrath remains on them. And people want to say, you know, there is a better place than hell. And, you know, if, you're, if you are where you are right now, you will meet God's judgment. And that is a bad thing. And so we want to tell people the good news of Jesus so that they could avoid hell. And many of us go on thinking that actually that is the end. That is the reason um, many of us are put on this earth, this earth. So when we think of mission, we think of, first of all, cross-cultural evangelism, telling people about Jesus um, who haven't heard uh, the good news. So when we think of workplace, we think of networks of people that God has placed us with so that we can tell people about Jesus. When we think of the person who's sitting next to the plane when we're going somewhere, we think of striking up a conversation with them so that we can tell that person about Jesus. We adjust our lifestyle and we adjust our worship styles as well so that we could be more palatable or more appealing to non-Christians. And we do so much to try to convert people. And once again, some would go on um, as far as to say that the reason why that they were called, that they were saved and they received this grace is so that they can tell others about the good news of Jesus. Evangelism is their life's goal. And if you are looking for a purpose in life, and the majority of you who are not missionaries and pastors and evangelists, I can confidently say that you are not put on this earth to do evangelism, to, to, to convert people. Well, that's not the only goal. The concern for the lost is a good thing. Concern for the lost is a great thing, and we should obviously have this thing in our minds as we live our lives. But the single-minded, the single-mindedness, the single-track-mindedness of trying to tell others about Jesus, and that's it, is actually not 
that healthy. We weren't put on this earth so that we can bring others to Jesus Christ. And this is, there's this false idea that's going on around the church circles that all that matters really is converting people. And we forget that we are called for a much bigger purpose. You see, that's why it was so important for me to start the series with Genesis chapter 1 last week, not chapter 3, because there was the bigger purpose of God's creation and why God created, created people and what God, why God has placed us on the earth. So let's go back to and just review a little bit of what we heard last week. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 to 28. This is God, God deciding to create people. Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over everything. So God created man and women. He blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over everything. You see how that command is distinctly, in a way, human. In a way, very material. Um, it's, it says that we should multiply and occupy every corners of this earth. And as God's images, living images, as people who represent God's rule, we are to go to all corners of the earth and build civilizations, cultures, and societies, build, building uh, educational facilities, financial institutions, cultural institutions, and, and while enjoying uh, the right relationship with God, build uh, the, the culture that reflects God's glory in every way. To tell people that in every way, Jesus is the Lord, God is the Lord over every aspect of our lives. Every part of the earth and every, of, every part of uh, our lives belong to Christ. And we are to bring Christ's rule in living rightly with God, but also with the creation and with others. That's why we were put on earth. So we can be living images of God and, and, and bring God's rule in every um, corner of the earth. And we often forget that, once again, that Genesis, uh, the Bible doesn't start with the fall. That it, um, uh, that it started with the goodness of creation, that we are to live here and flourish here on earth. That's why it's so significant that the Bible starts with the creation. It will end with the creation. But if you're thinking, but humanity did fall. But humanity did fall. And there is the problem of sin and God's wrath and the curse of the fall. And that is why I suppose so many people uh, are so focused on this and, and how, why so many of us frame mission only as evangelism or conversion because we see the fallenness of the world and we want to tell people about the goodness of Jesus and the forgiveness of sin that they have received. But redemption itself doesn't end with conversion and forgiveness of sins. Well, we have to remember that we're not just forgiven, but then we are redeemed. We are recreated. We are purchased and reanimated through the Holy Spirit for a purpose. And that purpose is missional. We are blessed vertically so that we can share this blessing horizontally with others and with the creation itself. And that's more than a spiritual blessing that we are meant to share. 
And that's why Paul, after the discussion, if you read Ephesians, and I go back to the Ephesians because it really is a foundation. I mean, it's a, it, it lays out the theology of, of the New Testament. Um, and if you, if you look at Ephesians chapter 1 and beginning of chapter 2, he talks about election and God's unconditional grace. But then, towards the middle of chapter 2, this is what he says, uh, Ephesians chapter 2, 10. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We're called, created in Jesus Christ. We're redeemed and purchased, and God says, you are mine, so that God can make us into people who do good works, that we were meant to do from the very beginning. Our confession of faith also is important. The confession of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. When we confess in the Apostles' Creed that Jesus is the, the, the maker of everything, that everything on earth is his. Um, our, when we confess, for example, that we will be resurrected, again, in Apostles' Creed, we, we, we confess that we will uh, we receive this bodily resurrection. That's important because it also is important in creating a culture and changing the world. Our beliefs changes how we live. Um, St. Augustine, in the book of City of God, wrote that human culture isn't just a reflection of who we are. Our race, our ethnicity, folklores, and politic and language, heritages. He believed that the human culture is outworking of people's creeds, what people believe. If you believe in the bodily resurrection of, of, of you, then you will live your life differently. If you believe that Jesus is the Lord over everything, all creation, then we will live our lives differently and we will build a culture and civilization that is different from the rest of the world. We will build, build and flourish markets and legal practices that are different. We will sing songs that are different. We'll paint pictures that are different. We will play differently. We will create a culture that's different, that's freed from the curse of sin and death and greed and lust and envy and strife that has filled the earth since the fall. We're not just saved so we can go to heaven. We're brought to Christ so we can be a blessing upon this earth. For many Christians, the goodness of Jesus so excites them, and rightly so, that they want to tell, spend the rest of their lives telling people about Jesus. And that's how I became a pastor, and that's what I want to do. But my job also is to tell you that you are created for much more. The good news extends not just in your salvation, but that you are created for good works, that you are created to rule over this whole earth, that you are created to live differently, and show the world that there is a new world that is coming in every aspect of your life. But, um, <laughs> uh, but then you might ask, well, what, what is the most important thing? What is the thing that God requires of us? What are we supposed to do? Um, and I'm sure you've had this experience. Many people, many students don't do well in classes um, because they, they just don't follow the instruction. They do the things that they want to do. And they, um, the, the less important things, they spend, spend all their, their time doing it. Um, and many Christians, I think, seem to live that life as well, I think. Uh, many of us major in the minors, major in the things that are not so important, things that are not as important in the overall scheme of things. 
And this is why Jesus says to the teachers of the law and the Pharisees in, in his day, in our text today, in chapter 23, verse 24, he says to them, you blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. It's a funny picture of straining out a gnat, but swallowing a camel. And this is a, it refers to the practice of when you drink wine or water or something. You, know, you, uh, you want to make sure that gnats didn't fall in, that these little flies didn't fall into your uh, uh, drinks. And so you, t- t- you, you sieve it out and you strain it out to make sure that you're drinking pure water. And that was important to them, not only because it's unpleasant to uh, eat gnats and little flies and insects, but also because it made you um, uh, ceremonially unclean, um, according to Leviticus. But then, because you're so focused on this little thing, you missed the big picture. And he says to the Pharisees and the, and, the, and the teachers of the law, you swallow a camel, which is also ceremonially unclean, but also, I mean, if you've ever been near a camel, they're really smelly and kind of dirty. A couple weeks ago, we did Stewardship Sunday, and I'm sure there are some of you who meticulously went home and thought, you know, I want to tithe rightly. And so you've, you've thought about, once again, uh, you know, should I tithe um, net or should I tithe um, a gross or should I tithe on the things that um, uh, people, you know, the gifts that I receive or, you know, people, Mormon, Mormons have all sorts of rules about this. And I'm sure many Christians also think about these things, too. Um, and actually, this discussion was going on 2000 years ago when Jesus was around as well. And so this is the discussion that was going on. Should we tithe spices, little things like spices, like cumin and dill and um, these things that are mentioned in, in our text today? And that's why Jesus says, you give tenth of your spices. You've Take, you've worked out the little details of what tithing means, is what he says. You, you tithe the tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin. But then Jesus says, whether you tithe those things or not, actually, in the overall spectrum of things, are not that important in comparison um, to the whole point of things, which is what matters is entirely different, he says. He continues in verse 23, chapter two, uh, 23, verse 23. But you have neglected the more important matters of the law. Literally, the weightier matters of the law, the more substantial things of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You have practiced the latter without, you should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former, he says. You know, there is no hint that Pharisees and uh, the teachers of the law were opposed in principle to justice and mercy and faithfulness. Just like us. Many of us definitely, I mean, these, when we hear of these things, we think, that's great. We should do them too. But the problem is that the, 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 the Pharisees and the, the teachers of the law spent so much time working out what it means to tithe. But they did not spend the equal amount of time. And they should have spent more time. The emphasis well, should have been on working out justice, working out mercy, working out faithfulness, and what it means for, for, to do those things in everyday life. That's what he says. This is the weightier matters of the law, the thing that we should be spending time in working out in our lives. So I want to ask you, have you worked out the details in your life? Justice, mercy, faithfulness, walking humbly before God. Even growth of the church in number. And, you know, it's not just growth in number, but, you know, even your spiritual growth. If you come and you love Jesus, you grow in, in your love for Jesus, and you worship God in, in, with passion, those are good things. But if it stays there, 
It's incomplete. Those things would help, should help us live our lives differently as a result. The church, we gathered, the church gathers together every week to equip you, to, to tell you, to focus on the right things. And uh, what Kathy said um, right, uh, before is just just right. Um, it's nice that the church grows. It's it's nice that we our knowledge of the Bible grows. It's nice um, that people gather to worship passionately here. It's nice when the church family gets to know each other and enjoys the, that sort of fellowship, heavenly fellowship. But just like Kathy asked, I want you to ask. But isn't there more to Christianity than that? Aren't we created for more? Of course, the answer is yes. We are created for more. We are created and redeemed for a purpose. And Micah famously summarized that the requirement of the law for us, as Flora beautifully made and reminded us there, um, Micah says he has already shown us what is good. Once again, Jesus is quoting from Micah, isn't he? What does Yahweh, what does the Lord require of us to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with God? These are the weightier matters of the law. I want to just spend a little time talking about justice and, and mercy, what, what these things mean. Some explain mercy like this. Mercy is just working out of love of God, the compassion of God. In the Gospel of Matthew, it's spelled out in chapter 25 when Jesus talks about, you know, feeding the hungry. When he says, you, 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 uh, you didn't feed me. Feeding the hungry um, and the thirsty, clothing the naked, providing hospitality, even visiting people in prison. Immediately, when the earth early church was formed, what they started doing was they started taking care of the widows and the orphans. In fact, there were disputes in the early church about what laws, what Jewish laws to keep. And the instruction in Acts 15 is that, you know, all these other laws, you, can, you don't have to keep them. But can you please take care of your widows and orphans? That's the instruction. And there are those who do this in this church, the mission partners that we support. Kathy's family isn't the only family that's foster parents in this church. There are people who are in the church also who have adopted children who don't have places to go. There are people who volunteer their time here, I know, in Christian action um, and crossroads to help care for the poor. There are members of this church who work with ethnic minorities in Hong Kong, there are those whose life, life's mission is to provide for the poor. Those who are here, who sponsor children. Kathy recommended uh, Compassion International, uh, but also World Vision. There are people who here sponsor children. I, and I really highly commend World Vision to you. It just, you, you are changing a life with, with a little amount of money. Um, there are those who make microloans all around the world as well. I'm here uh, and it doesn't have to be these formalized things. As Kathy said, we are supposed to distinguish ourselves in the way that we live, in the way that we show compassion and justice um, to our friends, to our neighbors, to the people who are just around us. So that's the works of mission. If you then ask me, what's the works of justice? What is that about? Well, if works of mercy... And works of compassion is, say, that you are finding people drowning in, down in the river. Works of mercy is swimming after them, taking them out, and clothing them and feeding them, all, giving them all the things that they need. Works of justice is then going to, to taking the next step and then going, why are there so many drowning people? 
um, here in this river. It's going upstream to find out why they're being drowned and then changing the work, work, the structures here so that people don't drown so much anymore. That's the works of justice. If there's persistent poverty, it's trying to figure out why poverty persists and trying to fix the structures so that people get a, can get a fair chance of life, success in life. And there are factory workers who are getting injured again and again. It's, it's advocating for change in the factory structures. It's giving voice to the vo- voiceless. It's advocacy. Um, it's that sort of work um, that inspired. Uh, it's things, works of people like Martin, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. or Wilberforce who changed um, the slavery laws um, in, in, in England. And once again, we support many mission partners who do these things. But it doesn't have to be these grandiose big things. Uh, a while ago, I met a lawyer who works for, um, uh, for Merrill Lynch, a big banking company. She told me about her frustrations with uh, her work. She often daydreams of leaving her job, and she told me of doing something more meaningful, by which she meant more churchy or more spiritual. And my advice to her was, I thought, you know, I mean, she's a legal, she, 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 she's, a, she's a lawyer, so she makes sure that the deals are fair and, you know, just and things. And I just thought to myself, what a great place for a Christian to be in, in making a difference in how the world works, how the financial institutions function. Um, we need people in those places, and my job is to say to you that we need you to do your work more justly and more, more, more mercifully, reflecting God's character in your work. That's why God has placed you there. That's why God has gifted you for those work, and that's why God has sent you there. That is God's mission, to create a human society that reflects his glory and his rule. Have you considered that? that where you work is, might be precisely the, the, the place that God is doing God's mission of carrying out God's justice, carrying out God's compassion ministry there. But if you think, why do we do this? Um, how can we keep going? Um, uh, and once again, uh, uh, um, I want to say that you know I, I, I heard a sermon on, on this passage, uh, Micah, a while ago, and this person said, um, you know, what does the Lord require of us? He made it. He made the question once again about salvation. What does the Lord require so that we can go to heaven? And I just thought, oh no. This sort of this obsession with going to heaven seems to be it's it's not ending. No, this isn't a requirement. I don't want you to think that you need to do these things so that you can go to heaven, that you can be saved. You see, Micah is already talking to people who are God's elect, the people who are chosen, people who God loves. Yes, they were being disciplined, it's true, um, but these were still God's chosen people. The weightier matters of the laws were given to people who God delivered out of Egypt and says, you are mine. The works of the law that we do, we don't do them out of fear that we might not make it to heaven. That's not why we do it. Once again, the Ephesian passage, the chapter 2.10, that we are created, we're God's workmanship, created for good works. That passage comes after discussion of God's unconditional grace that God gives us and says, you are mine now 
do this work. It's a matter of obedience. It's a matter of response to what Christ has done. It's a matter of response to the working, inner workings of the Holy Spirit who transforms us inwardly. Martin Luther famously said that we are saved by faith alone. But he also said that you are not saved by faith that remains alone. The faith needs to move you into action, that, in, that, that it should inspire love of Jesus. The, in, the faith in, 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 in God should inspire obedience out of love rather than fear. Faith that is breathed by the Holy Spirit that works within us. So we do it because the Holy Spirit works within us. Because God has created us anew and are making us new people who are concerned for these things when the rest of the world is not concerned. But, once again, the main work of the Holy Spirit is to point us to Jesus Christ, to the outward work of Jesus Christ, his magnificent work on compassion, justice, and righteousness. And this is why we have to keep talking about Jesus in the church and what he has done for us. Because if you engage in works of mission, works of compassion, justice, or any of these work, or even evangelism, if you, draw, if, you, if you do these things without drawing from the well of Jesus Christ, you will run dry very quickly. If the motivation comes from within, you will run out. You know, I spent a couple of years in Honduras um, trying to, I went there to change the world, <laughs> change Honduras. And in two years, I became very cynical and, and, and very tired. And you know, there are things, um, there's such a thing called um, compassion fatigue. It's just the needs of the world are just so endless. And you think, what difference does it make? What difference does one make? That's why we need to look Jesus to Jesus. There's a, um, Chris Wright tells us the story, he, he was a missionary in India, and in his mission, in his, um, in his seminary, there's a statue of these two people, and uh, one person is standing tall and the other person is kneeling before him, and you think, when you see it from afar, you think, okay, this is a statue of maybe uh, Jesus and uh, Thomas, you know how Thomas sees Jesus, and G- uh, Thomas confesses, my Lord and my God, and he worships Jesus, but Actually, when you approach the statue, you, you see that the person who's kneeling before this man is wearing a crown. And this man is washing. This, the, the person who's standing is just an ordinary man. And the person who's washing the foot of that person is Jesus. The Spirit points to Jesus who humbled himself who emptied himself. The Spirit reminds us again and again of what Christ has done, how Christ has become our servant. That even in spite of all the rejection and the jeering and, and taunting that was going on, he poured out his life for us. And because of what Jesus has done, this is, this is why we do it. We must go and serve the world even though it might not, it might not seem like uh, make much of a difference. Um, this, is, this is just the way that we must be now that Christ has shown us how human beings are supposed to be. Acts of justice, compassion, love, mercy, that's what we're created to do. 
And that's more. And we'll, we will talk about building the church, evangelism, and mission, teaching work um, next week. But that's also a, a, a means to an end. If we are created for a greater work. And I want to end um, with uh, Samuel Johnson, quote from Samuel Johnson. Um, this is what he said. Some men please themselves with constant regularity of life and decency of behavior. Some are punctual in attendance on public worship and perhaps in the performing of private devotions. Such men are not hypocrites. The virtues which they practice arise from their principles. Their religion is sincere. What is reprehensible is that that is partial. It is partial work. And I pray that our devotion to Jesus will move us into action. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your acts of service and love. The mercy that you've shown And we thank you that in the church we get a glimpse of what it's like to live um, in that heavenly kingdom. But Lord, we pray that you will remind us of what you have done each day. That we'll go out to our workplaces. That we'll we'll, um, live in our families in a way that really brings God's kingdom, your kingdom, on earth. And we pray that you will give us that sense of mission as we go out to our workplaces tomorrow. We pray these things, not for our sake, but your Son's glory. In Jesus' name, amen.